You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artists intended to demystify the classical music and opera art form. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's available via Spotify and Audioboom. That way, you'll hear about the latest podcasts as they become available. Be sure to follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter or on Facebook, and you'll find the blog at thoroughlygood.me. And there's one more thing to mention. This podcast relies on the generosity of others to keep it going. If you're someone who has supported the podcast already, be assured that you will receive, eventually, a Thoroughly Good badge as a measure of my thanks. If you're someone who likes the idea of receiving a badge, or indeed joining the throng of discerning individuals who have supported the podcast already, please head over to the Thoroughly Good blog at thoroughlygood.me, where you'll find a donate button, Anything you can spare would be very much appreciated. Forty-one featured Andrew Nethsinger, the director of St John's College, Cambridge. It was whilst I was travelling to record that podcast in Cambridge that the opportunity presented itself quite unexpectedly to visit Malta for a week, attend concerts at the International Festival there and interview its composer-in-residence, Alexi Shaw. I didn't know much about Alexi and had heard none of his music before the trip, And when I embarked on that trip, I also didn't anticipate the extent to which I would come to confront the assumptions and expectations I hold about the classical music world, a lot of it shaped by my experience of it in the UK. That's essentially what this podcast is about. Listening back to my interview with composer Alexi Shaw, recorded in the foyer of a hotel in St Julian's near Valletta, I'm reminded of what those assumptions are that I hold. What constitutes classical music who can call themselves a composer and who can't, what valid music is and who the arbiter is about who gets the label and who doesn't. It was kind of scary. It was a scary set of assumptions to stumble on and it disappointed me, truth be told. Our conversation was then something I approached with a surprising amount of trepidation because I knew that the questions I wanted to ask originated from potentially a negative place. And when I came away from the interview, I was reminded of something else which has been a constant for me. When you meet the person behind a piece of creative output, it is almost impossible to be anything other than respectful of their achievement and appreciative of being able to see things from a slightly different perspective. I'm not going to spell out exactly what those different perspectives are. There is a blog post on the Thoroughly Good blog and link to in the show notes 
if you want to have some additional hints. You might well have a different take. I'd certainly be interested to hear that. Be sure to get in touch. For me, though, this conversation is a staging post in my continued understanding of the classical music world, the moment in time when I saw things from a slightly different perspective. That perspective shines a light on audiences who want to be entertained and on the people who, through a variety of unorthodox means, are able to satisfy that growing appetite and how that in itself challenges our conventional notion of what a composer is and the rarefied regard we hold them in. start just by just by telling me who you are and what you do uh, my name is Alexi Shore and uh, I write music where where did you do you do you recall uh, the first uh, musical experience that you had either playing or listening well listening undoubtedly ever since I was a child music was all around me as far as playing, that was never in the cards. So when I was a kid, uh, I was a math prodigy, and my parents are both scientists, so it was always assumed that uh, I'm going to grow up to be a scientist, a mathematician, and at worst, a physicist. At worst. <laughs> right. What's wrong with physicists? <laughs> it, it's sort of an inside mathematician's joke uh, that physics is kind of inferior mathematics <laughs> right okay as someone who didn't do physics a level i'm going to struggle with that uh, i get you i get you so so actually a family a family of scientists yeah and and that's what i did most of my life i uh, i was a mathematician and i started writing music very very late in life and mostly for my own entertainment and then by act pure accident uh, it got noticed by David Aaron Carpenter who's a wonderful violist um, and he started playing it uh, in all of his concerts and it went from there um, what was it what was the source of entertainment for you you know when um, you were just writing for yourself can you tell me a bit more about that well initially like I always loved music uh, like I'm a concert junkie I probably go to like you know, two concerts a week when I when I'm in New York and I I used to listen to music all the time, and uh, at some point uh, I was curious just to see how it is that music is uh, written down, uh, and because you know you you go to a concert, it's like an ocean of sound, and uh, so I was just curious uh, what it, what those dots on paper mean. Uh, so I read a book about about music theory. And then I thought, uh, let me see if I can, if I remember anything from that book. So, so I wrote vari variations for Happy Birthday for my mom's birthday, and uh, and it was all so new and so entertaining to me that uh, that I can actually uh, like create music. That I, I kept doing it without any uh, ambition to ever be professional. It just 
and then that's that, that but that's that scientific background isn't it that that curiosity <laughs> that desire to investigate presumably yeah it's curiosity plus uh, plus like I, I don't want to sound uh, narcissistic but after after being a mathematician all my life and after knowing that I have some abilities since I was a, a tiny child like uh, I always knew that I can learn things quickly so so I used to like pick uh, subjects here and there and like quickly read up on them for my own amusement so music was one of those things I, I thought this is not going to be uh, very hard I'm not gonna get to any professional level but I'll get some enjoyment out of the learning process and do you do you recall what you I mean I understand that you sort of you you wrote the, the happy birthday variations for your mum but do you recall what your first discoveries were when you when you had read that book what surprised you at that stage well what really surprised me is how coherent music theory is because it's not created by scientists it's not created by people who since the age of five are being yelled at for every little logical mistake it's uh, it's sort of there's a there's a body of good music written by some people like Bach and then other people uh, try to formalize it and turn it into a bunch of rules like if that sort of endeavor by itself uh, seems doomed to failure and yet what, that idea of taking uh, of, of uh, the, establishing rules from convention like you have a large body of work like I don't know you take all Shakespearean poetry and then you tell somebody who's nowhere near Shakespearean talent like okay take that poetry and figure out how to write in that style probably nothing good is going to come out but music theory is actually a good product uh, like you these people who are not Bach they did formulate uh, a bunch of rules you follow those rules and music comes out it may be good music it may be bad music but it's recognizably uh, like proper tonal music and uh, I think it's kind of amazing that uh, that, that theory exists like uh, a theory of writing Shakespearean poetry doesn't exist I hadn't looked at it like that I hadn't because of someone who who studied music and who went through we have in the UK you may be aware we have a, a grade system where you start learning at one level and then you build up to grade 8 part of that grade that practical playing system is that, or learning system is that you have to do grade, what's known as grade five theory. You can't progress any further until you've done the theory. Uh, and I remember as a kid um, being petrified of that exam because I wasn't <laughs> sure whether I could remember it all. And if I couldn't pass, I couldn't go on any further. Um, but what was drilled into me was, and I think probably for a lot of my peers and anybody else who plays professionally, is this this idea of the canon and the established way of of things being written down, which I think what you're saying is you you reflect on as being a as one way of doing it, but not necessarily the only way of doing it. Yeah, well, I'm just like people who wrote uh, 
the best music ever, like Bach. He was not aware of any of these rules, so maybe they weren't his, we don't know what was in his head, but at that time things were not written down. And uh, then somehow people distilled the previous experience to a bunch of rules, and uh, usually when something like that happens, you end up with something like, okay, here is the rule, but uh, there's a million exceptions, and you don't always have to follow it. And... Uh, and even if you follow it, uh, probably nothing good will come out. But uh, but music theory works. Like uh, chord progressions sound like they go somewhere, and uh, you can hear proper counterpoint versus uh, wrong counterpoint. And so I was just amused and uh, amazed that. Uh, that such a thing exists. Do you uh, consider yourself a rebel? No. <laughs> You're being very laid back about that. Okay, fine. You're not going to bite on that one. Um, uh, what did your what did, what did your parents make of your switch? What did they make of you sort of abandoning mathematics? Assuming well, that you have abandoned mathematics. Yeah, yeah. You have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I did. There was a bit of an overlap, but it was difficult to uh, to maintain two things at a professional level. What did they what did they make of it? They were a little well more than a little shocked. Like my mom said that, she, that when I was a kid she could have named like twenty things I could potentially be good at that music wouldn't have made that list. What was her what what do you think her reasons were for it not being on the list? It's just everybody was so used to the idea that uh, things technical come easy to me and and I enjoyed them. Uh, so given those two things, uh, like why would I do anything else in life? And what did she make of the variations then when you played them that? She, she was amused, but she, she was like, okay, so he read another book, he remembered a bunch of things. And, like she... I'm, I'm, I'm joking on my own rage, but maybe that doesn't really bother you. Does that does that kind of reaction bother you? No. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. Like nobody expected it to go any further. And when it did go further, what were people saying then? Well, then they were really surprised. Like uh, when when David Carpenter started, uh, like. He found a particular piece of music lying on on the table, uh, and asked me who the if I knew the author and if the, if he can convince the author to make it a viola piece. And then at that point, I couldn't do it myself, so me and a friend of mine did it together. And then he went off on a tour, and from the tour, he kept writing like you wouldn't believe the receptions that we're getting. Like we're getting standing ovations, people are demanding that we play it twice in a row, and. And I thought, like, okay, musicians, they're prone to exaggeration. <laughs> okay. And, and then eventually he comes back and they had a concert at the Metropolitan Museum. And me and my parents went to that concert. And it all worked out exactly the way he was describing in his messages. Like, once he played uh, that one piece, he, he calls it my replacement for Chardash Monte. He used to play Chardash, now he plays this. So once it got played, uh, there was the huge ovation, like the whole like, 
700 people stood up. And what was your reaction in that moment? Do you recall how you felt in that moment? It was a little shocking. Shocking? Yeah. To both me and my parents and... uh, I need more. I'm leaning in in order to get you to tell me more. Well... Shocking in what way? Well, in in a way that that's the moment when it dawned on me that... uh, Well, maybe this is all not such a complete joke and maybe I should take it more seriously. Did you experience any emotional reaction to that? Oh, of course. It's an amazing thrill. It's... uh, it's an amazing thrill to this day every time my music is being played but uh, and what, but is that, the, what is the story that you tell yourself when when your music is being played uh, well I'm not sure I tell myself any stories at that point I'm just concentrating on listening to the music and but somewhere in the background, the the thought of how amazing this is that it all happened to me so late in life, and uh, and now here I am being played by the uh, wonderful orchestras and some of the best soloists in the world is uh, like I have to pinch myself occasionally. Uh, I hadn't heard your music until I came to the festival. Something that strikes me as an outsider to your to your repertoire is that. Um, I'm not sure whether I explained this correctly, so if there's something that you don't understand, please please ask a follow-up. Um, I get the impression that you are you are wowed by the theatrics, that you are that you that you love the orchestra, you love the the activity uh, and the different sounds that it can create. Um, <coughs> and that and when I think of that, that reminds me of how I felt when I first saw an orchestra play. I'm wondering whether I'm reading too much into that. Yeah, no, I, I love writing for the orchestra. In in some ways it's easier for me than writing for, for a solo instrument because you're not limited by anything. Whatever you can imagine, orchestra can play it because they can create all kinds of sounds uh, without uh, straining any particular player. Uh, whereas, uh, like... Even if you're writing for a piano, which is the most virtuosic instrument, you're still limited by what a human can do. So I, I love orchestra. I love the variety that you get out so of the orchestra. So there is an element of the spectacle. There is an element of the of the machine about the orchestra for you. Well, that sounds yeah, like a leading question. I, I don't mean it to be. Well, do I don't know I mean? if I would call it a machine or a spectacle. It's uh, it's just a possibility for infinite variety. Like piano is by far my favorite instrument, but still, it's just a piano. It's the same kind of sound. Um, tell me about last night's concert. Tell me about the cello concerto. Can you describe that? Well, it's a very recent, recent work, and uh, it's called musical pilgrimage because. Uh, it's sort of musically it visits the places that are most close to my heart in terms of musical styles it has uh, like sections that sort of reminiscent of very classical music it has more baroque-ish sections it has sections that sound like uh, 19th century virtuoso music and uh, and then it has a very sad 
second second movement. So it was the second movement that that really struck me. Actually, that there was a there was a moment of calm about it and intense melancholy. I wonder where that comes from. Where does that yeah, material originate from? Melancholy is very common for my music. Not not that I consider myself to be very emotionally disturbed person but somehow the some sort of sadness is present in in a lot of my music and uh, like in a lot of my thoughts about life in general like you know this is all wonderful but it's all gonna end like it's always somewhere in the background so I think a lot of my music even if it's uh, joyous on the surface there is some sadness lurking underneath like probably like 80% of it is in my mind is I wonder whether actually okay this this might be a slightly a slightly odd question but I wonder whether you are resistant to accessing that melancholy for the most part with the exception of the second movement I wonder whether generally in your music you you feel uncomfortable accessing that no, I. I don't think so. I. I think I have melancholic moments in in the middle of uh, pretty joyful pieces if it just if it feels right. Uh, tell me how you go about composing. Have you, I mean, I don't compose. I write. I understand the written word. Uh, and I strive to be better every single day and I don't think that I'm particularly good at it so tell me how you write how do you write music because that's a whole other world to me well it it differs from from occasion to occasion like sometimes I have some musical idea and I have a lot of clarity regarding what it is like I may have a melody and and I'm gonna be like, okay, this has to be a cello soloist. And sometimes I just have a musical idea and I don't really know what it's all about, in which case it gets written down for the for piano. And, uh, and then like maybe a day or so later, I look at it again and uh, most of the time I just delete the file. And uh, and sometimes I look at it and I think like hmm, this is actually pretty good. Maybe it should have maybe it should have a life. And uh, what is the what's the criteria for you for it to be pretty good? Uh, I mean, just my own personal subjective feeling. Like in in some way, I I write for an audience of one, which is me. Like I imagine myself in a concert hall and I'm thinking like, well, if I've heard this. Would I enjoy it? Would I enjoy it enough to like hear it again when it comes back after in a recapitulation? Would I ever want to hear it again after I'm done with this concert? So if the answer is yes to all the questions, then maybe the this piece has some future. There's a. I keep thinking of the mathematician, and I wonder to what extent uh, your scientific background is being used in your editing process? Well, I suspect in small ways, like, I think having scientific background was incredibly useful 
at the learning stage. As far as now, I'm sure it's useful on some level. Like I'm sure I'm like I'm I'm sensitive to like asymmetries uh, that maybe would have been harder for me to spot if I didn't have the pr previous training. But but mostly, I think music is about music. It's not it's not about following the rules or or doing math correctly, which is I'm definitely good at that. But I wonder to what extent that previous life, if it is a pre I mean, I don't know whether you regard it as a previous life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do, of do. course. I just wondered to what extent when you are creating, uh, how much that previous life, whether you're battling with it, whether it sort of reappears and it's unhelpful, or whether it's... Do you no, see what I mean? I, I think it's helpful to... I think it's helpful in thinking through the architecture of pieces. It's helpful in not messing up small things here and there so it's kind of helpful in small ways but the most important thing is to have some musical ideas and in that sense it's not helpful it's completely independent how's this i mean it's been like four or five years is that right yeah, have i, have oh I got like the years six right? six years um how have the past six years changed you I don't know if it really changed me as a person. Like my my day-to-day -day routine is almost the same. I wake up and lock myself in the office. And uh, like both composing and doing mathematics are pretty lonely activities and I'm comfortable with that. I have a, well, I met a lot of people during my my music travels and some of them became really good friends but the old old good friends are still there so not nothing much changed uh, on a personal level absolutely everything changed in the way I live my life uh, in what way oh <coughs> I I travel to festivals I Instead of doing math, I'm writing music. It's, it's pretty different. <coughs> I'm really sorry about the cough. It's far more annoying, I suspect, for me than it is for other people. But it's so... Yeah, don't worry about oh. it. Um, what about other music that moves you? I want to know about stuff that moves you. Well, it's, uh, it's like what... You music. can't say your own music. <laughs> so no. It may move you, but you can't say your own music. No, no, I'm not that insane. <laughs> like, obviously, okay. the, like... Because that would it, make for a very uncomfortable interview if you said your it's <laughs> a, No, it's, it's the other way around. It's amazing to me that there is still demand for new music because, uh, like, I understand why there is demand for new movies because old movies feel dated, but old music doesn't. Like modern composers uh, have to compete for space on the programs with uh, people of uh, unimaginable genius. So, but I guess people still crave for new things. Like, in, so, like my favorite music is definitely not mine. My favorite music is Bach and Mozart and all the the usual suspects. <laughs> the usual suspects. What moves you about them? Uh, well, 
like Bach is uh, like Bach is really special to me. Like almost uh, any piece of his that starts playing, like I get goosebumps. There is some like perfection there, uh, as if like you know God dictated it to him. So, like listening to Bach is almost a religious experience to me. But you are, even though I know it's previous life, but you are a you you receive scientific training. You you also recognize it. You acknowledge a spiritual element. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think I enjoy Bach because Bach was into numerology. Uh, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy his music because it's just absolutely amazing musically. And, well, and then I, as I said, I like all the, like all the usual names that will you know, come to mind. Like, I really, really like Haydn, probably as much as Mozart. And, I like Mozart, I like Beethoven, Schubert. I'm all about the detail and I don't I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable, but um, so you must say if you do. Uh, but for actually here is a good uh, illustration. When I look out of the view out of the window, I see lines, I see um, the the balustrade, I see the line of the boat passing through the water, I see the horizon and I see you know I see loads of lines and I cannot tell you how much pleasure that that order in nature is especially when there is a deep blue sky and a bright blue sky and I cannot I can tell you what pleasure that brings me but I cannot explain to you why it has that effect on me and I suppose what I'm trying to prod you mm -hmm. about is what is the music that has that similar sort of effect on you well Bach absolutely does and uh, and you are right it's very difficult to explain why like it it's probably relatively easy to explain why terrible music is terrible but uh, I don't know have you ever listened to Salieri uh, I've heard bits well I recommend it for uh, it's an interesting experiment because it's like Mozart without a soul like some, no, some of that, some of his music is really, really good, uh, but still. Uh, so you can hear Salieri and you can hear Mozart. And you can uh, hear the Salieri. It's, it's, it just doesn't quite meet. It's meet a similar up. style. Like I'm sure Salieri was a, a supremely competent person. It's not like you can look at the score and say like, oh, it's like it's full of mistakes, and that's why Mozart sounds better. Like you can't explain. That. Salieri has enjoyable melodies. Like there's a there's a lot of like you can if you want to put check marks you're gonna get the same check marks for Mozart and Salieri but uh, I don't think any sensitive person can uh, can really not feel the difference. You highlight something that I do find frustrating. A friend of mine once said somebody that I worked with said that uh, if there's something that's really joyous that that really means something to you and you're struggling to explain why it means something then maybe it just doesn't need explaining but but I find that paradox incredibly frustrating because I just think yeah. if, you can't, if you can't really nail that if you can't really nail why it's pleasing then how can you possibly um, seek to recreate it or, or seek to build on it do you, 
that's that's yeah. kind of why yeah. I'm, I'm I, I know I know what you feel like I I really love going to Japan and whenever people ask me what it is that I love about Japan I mumble something along the lines that it's like really pretty and clean and the food is good and and then I think like it makes me sound it makes me sound like an idiot uh, but I, I can't verbalize it, it so there's clearly something about the the experience of being there a bit like I was having in, in Valletta yesterday uh, possibly how do you feel when you are there? Presumably, you feel relaxed. Yeah, so. I feel very comfortable oh. for a country where I can, I can only say like five words. Uh, you feel extremely comfortable, extremely safe. Yeah, it sounds like you're somebody who prefers their own company. Sorry. It sounds like you are someone who feels comfortable in their own company. Oh. But certainly, yeah, in a country I'm, where you can't speak the language, you are yeah, going to yeah. essentially be no, alone. I, like I have friends, I enjoy traveling with mm. friends, but I'm fine being alone too. So solitude is really important. Yeah, oh, it's definitely important for war. What does that? What do the rest of the family make of you locked in your room? Well, obviously, adults understand that that's the uh, rules of the game, and uh, children complain. <laughs> uh, what do you what do you want to do next what do you want to do next in the in the next two or three years what would be the goal I don't think I have a particular goal if I can if I can keep writing music that audiences enjoy and people want to play that's all I want and what are you curious about next because you're fueled by curiosity that much is clear uh, I don't know um, see, that's the that's the good thing about curiosity that uh, you don't know what it is that you're going to be curious about next. Right now, I'm still fully engaged uh, in music, and that's really all I want to do. Like, well, in addition to the uh, things that were always there, like I, I like to travel. But uh, if if and when I get curious about something else then then I'll know like I don't know my son started playing chess so I started playing chess I, I don't think it's going to wow. become a very serious hobby but uh, well but that's for a what little you said bit, about composing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah careful careful you never know uh, I read somewhere uh, something which actually taps into uh, a thing I'm curious about which is um, you you want there to be more melody you, you know, you value melody and tonality. Uh, can you tell me more about why? Yeah, a couple of years ago, somebody asked me what it is that you would change about classical music if you could, and I said something like, I wish there was more melodic music written, and, uh, and that produced a bit of a controversy, because people misunderstood it as me saying that people should write more melodic and tonal music that's not at all what I meant all I meant is that I enjoy listening to that music if there was more of it I would listen more to it but I I didn't mean to tell anybody what to do but I personally am drawn to traditional harmonies and uh, and clear melodies uh, what do we have to look forward to tonight tell me about the, the work that, that we'll hear tonight so tonight they're going to play 
a cycle of, uh, of seven short pieces for a piano trio and they're, they're all actually arrangements of pieces written for something else before and they were all written at the request of Hachaturan trio it's a trio in Armenia that they were the first ones to show I think I had some trios written and they played like one one or two and then they started asking for more and uh, every time it happened it was like we're having a concert in two months can you write something and of course like, I'm not gonna go and write something in two months uh, like I, I need things to percolate in my head more so I would grab something and arrange it for a trio which by the way is something that I enjoy doing like the process of rearrangement is, is fun for me so I ended up uh, ar arranging a bunch of things for them and then they put them into into some order that I think makes perfect sense and started playing them as a set. So now it exists as a set. It got published on a CD as a set. It got published uh, as, a, as a book as a set. So that's what you're going to hear tonight. You talked about um, pleasure rearranging. Yeah. Um, how it, do you mean? It's just, uh, it's sort of like uh, you have an object that you really like and you get to twist it and turn it and look at it in different light uh, and uh, and it's, it's, it's relatively... You like variations, don't you? Yeah. And that's where it started. Yeah, I, I, I like variations. I like uh, hearing the same things played by different instruments and different groups of instruments. Uh, it's sort of easy fun like getting getting a good melody is the difficult part and uh, like putting it all together is a difficult part once it's there you can arrange it in 20 different ways and uh, and still enjoy it do you i mean i've only spent 45 minutes i think it's 45 minutes in your 35 minutes <laughs> in your company i i i've had one hunch confirmed which is I think, anyway, that you retain a sort of a childlike quality to life. Is that would that be right? Do you do you still feel like a? I don't well, want to say. Do you still feel like a child? Because that would be rather rude. Well, but do you see what I mean? Yeah. Because you're talking about fun when no, you're writing. You're the only right. composer I know who says I, I have fun when <laughs> I write. Most composers describe it as it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. I'm not sure whether it's going to work or not. But you. You clearly want to have fun. Yeah, I guess in some ways I feel like I never grew up. Like, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> I, like I can, like for example, I said I can learn things very quickly, but I guess I should issue a correction. I can learn things very quickly if I'm really interested in them. If I'm not, it's more of a struggle, which... I guess kind of, this is like this is the way kids function. Adults uh, are capable of forcing themselves, but uh, but I've been lucky. Uh, I've been doing I've been doing what I love all my life. I I love mathematics, and it was sort of heartbreaking to leave it. But I thought I can't pass up on a chance to write a ballet for Bolshoi Theater, and uh, like I. I always did what uh, what I like to do, and 
hope it stays that way. Uh, I'm going to challenge you one more time because I'm not sure I've got the answer to my question. Sure. Which is, uh, and I'm, I'm a dog with a bone. Uh, I'm a creative individual, um, and so we, we have that in common. And I know deep down that even though I may feel uncomfortable sharing this with peers, I know where I want to go next. I know that I would love to make a documentary. I mean, it seems ridiculous to say that. I'm, I'm able to say that to you because we will probably never meet again. Um, uh, so I know that sort of deep down I kind of like to do that, but I'm not quite sure whether I have the story or the ability or whether there'll be an audience. But that unknown is a motivation. So that's, that's me. I'm wondering what your equivalent is. Well, Where would you like, like to go next? It'd be... It'd be nice to write an opera, but even if I had an offer to write an opera, I'm not sure I would take it. Uh, like, as, if you mean like abstract dreams, then yes. yeah, then, yeah. then opera. I'm not saying who do you want your next offer from. Op- <laughs> no, opera is an amazing uh, is an amazing dream to have. It may never happen. Uh, like writing another ballet is probably more realistic, and uh, I, I would very much enjoy doing that too. That dream about an opera, is that about the scale? Is that mm-hmm. about legacy? Is it about sort of no, the it's next just, run? No, it's just that I, I love opera, and uh, my my ballet has uh, like three or four operatic moments. It has a couple... Are you here on the 10th? Yes. So yeah, I'm here the, until the end of the festival. Yeah, uh, is there so, an excerpt in there? So there will be... Uh, the, uh, the arias from the ballet will be performed at the... Uh, at that concert by Anna Glatova, who's who's also singing in the ballet, uh, like uh, I I love, I just love the sound of human voice, and I I love opera. At the same time, there is all kinds of. Uh, it's much easier to just sit down and write an orchestral piece than than it is to to write an opera where it's a collaborative uh, thing. Like you know, you need a lyricist. So. That's why it's more of a distant dream than than even a ballet, uh, where you don't need a lyricist. And between now and you realizing that dream, what would what would have to happen before you get to that writing of the opera? Well, it's a lot of things that need to come together. Some opera house needs to be interested. There has to be uh, some lyricists that uh, that were comfortable working together. And, you know, if I was part of this world for 50 years as opposed to six, then chances are I would have all kinds of friends and, and maybe there will be a lyricist with whom, with whom we see eye to eye. But, uh, and then there's a question of language because, uh, like, uh, Italian is an amazing language for singing, but I don't speak Italian. <laughs> Yes. which goes back to your point that you need to write it for you <coughs> um, so when the festival is over do you go back to New York or are you staying in Malta so after this there is a, another festival and a competition in Vienna so that's where I'm going where my pieces are the part of the uh, obligatory repertoire for the contestants so and there's a bunch of concerts uh, with my music there as well 
and then after that I go to New York and uh, for the next like four months I try not to go anywhere and work that's where family is that's, yeah. that, so you will relax would you, would you relax or would you be locking yourself in your room every day I I hope for a lot of time in my room <laughs> you've been listening to the thoroughly good classical music podcast available on Spotify iTunes and Audio Boom. to get in touch tweet at thoroughly good post a message on the thoroughly good Facebook page or email john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me